the Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversation with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This season is brought to you by The Threshold Community, a new collaboration between me and my friend Holly Trular. We're gathering online with like-minded, collapseware people to tend the threshold of the twilight times of the world as we've known it. Together, we're exploring collapse preparedness, attachment and trauma and co-regulation, animism, grief and death, transformative justice, creativity, and play. Read all about it at thethresholdcommunity.com and find us on Instagram at Tending the Threshold. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and today on the podcast, I'm connecting with Jasmine Richardson and Eliza Robertson. They're an astrology team who make their home online at cosmictonic.com. That's K-O-S-M-I-C-T-O-N-I-C.com. And today we're talking about what the astrology looked like leading up to 2020 that might have revealed something big like a global pandemic was coming. And we're looking ahead to the outlook for the rest of 2020 and beyond. I think that's probably all the setup we need here, right? Just tell us, Jasmine and Eliza, how did we get here and where are we going? So Jasmine, what identities do you lead with? The identity that is always consistent in my life is the role of parent, actually. Um, I adopted my niece six years ago when she was nine, and she is actually the reason I got into astrology in the first place. Um, I didn't have contact with her for several years before I adopted her, and I wanted a really fast route to get to know her and understand her. And I knew the best way to do that was to immerse myself in her natal chart. So that's what I did. And it's been very successful in directing my parenting style so far. (laughs) Wow. I love that. I love that. I I don't want to cut you off if there was more, but I'm already like so (laughs) jazzed by that. It's like, yes, I've I've actually had Eliza read for my son and um, I kind of feel voyeuristic, but I'm like, could I listen to it? And then he let me and I was like, oh God, thank God. (laughs) I feel like I'm parenting okay. Oh, that's wonderful. (laughs) It's some of my favorite readings to do is parenting with planets is a service that I offer and it's definitely the most rewarding. (laughs) Yeah. I bet. I bet. Thank you. How about you, Eliza? What identities do you lead with? Um, primarily um, with my professional identities actually. So I, I identify as, um, an author, as a, as a creative writer and as an astrologer and, um, I am someone who has taken two crafts, let's say, or arts or not sciences per se, (laughs) but um, I've taken two pursuits and um, that, that, that can be quite joyful and that can be hobbies for many. And I've kind of gone at them full tilt in a professional way. And um, they have become more than just a career. So I, yeah. That's the honest answer is as a writer and as an astrologer. Mm. 
I love that. And I think I, I get that, that notion that your vocation is totally wrapped up in your identity and is like shaping you and as you are crafting it. Am I getting that? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's so can we start by locating ourselves in like the history of astrology? I, I do personally, as somebody who, you know, remember those um, star scrolls you could get at the grocery store and the, the pharmacy like that came in the tubes. I Like I used to get those from the time I was 13. And then there were also like the little square ones that were the size of a matchbook. I, I've loved astrology forever and, um, you know, horoscopes, but it seems now maybe with the explosion of internet and Instagram, there's all these different pathways in astrology that here anyway in the West are kind of new in my consciousness. I didn't realize there were so many different kinds of traditions. And the two of you both seem to be part of a new movement of fresh voices in astrology who are examining this kind of esoteric knowledge, but through this lens that incorporates more interrogation and more cultural analysis and critique of things like, you know, power and gender and patriarchy. It's not just um, when will you meet the love of your life? You know, like what are your best luck days for the month ahead? That kind of thing. There's like so much about both psychology and archetypes and all of that. Um, so for those of us who just have been, you know, very novice fans, um, how should we understand your approach to astrology? Go ahead, Eliza. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, no, that's a really great question. We could probably spend the whole episode just discussing this question. So I'll try to restrain myself. Um, first of all, I will say, so specific to my own approach to astrology, and Jasmine, um, you know, parallels us to some extent, but we also, I think, have fruitfully diverged and pursued, you know, parallel, but also separate paths. Mm. Um, my, my training, my, my educational background uh, right now is really entrenched in traditional astrology, especially Hellenistic astrology. So this is going back to texts that were written in the first to second century uh, before Common Era through to about the seventh century before common era. And what you'll find is a lot of millennials specifically who are studying astrology and some Gen Z folk um, who are studying astrology are really drawn to these, this more technical side of it. And I, I think it's every bit a reaction against some of the more pop astrology, which lured us all in also in the beginning. <laughs> I grew up you know, reading Susan Miller and um, really, really adored some of the more popular astrology out there. Wait, is Susan Miller pop? <laughs> I'm like, so she's, so that's a different form of astrology from your tradition. Susan Miller is thorough and impressive and she's a real astrologer, but yeah, she, she is someone who markets toward, you know, it's Venus retrograde, don't get plastic surgery. Right. It's <laughs> um, Mercury retrograde, back up your computer, which is sound advice, probably both. If you're okay. looking toward cosmetic <laughs> surgery, try to avoid Venus retrograde. <laughs> but, you know, but you're right in observing that the astrology that we both practice, Jasmine and I, it, it is pushing beyond that. So one thing I want to point to is, is, the, the rigor actually, and 
even the academic research behind the, the efforts at translation projects um, that you find in practitioners of traditional astrology. But there is, you know, healthy criticism to apply to that too, because no, it's not appropriate for us to inherit totally the worldview of Greco-Roman Hellenistic in Alexandria, Egypt society from, you know, a couple millennia ago. Like there, it was hugely patriarchal, hugely colonizing spirit and um, very, very binary, very essentialist in the thinking. So it's a really interesting mix actually where we find ourselves because Many, many um, newer astrologers, or at least millennial and younger astrologers, are really hungry for the, the, the rigor of thought and the um, foundations. At the same time, they're fiercely critical also of, you know, how we talk about gender in astrology, how we, how we think about our lineage or lineages. And the other thing is, you know, I come from a Western astrology background, but there was astrology in Mesoamerica, there was astrology in India and China, you know, arguably around the world where there was sky. <laughs> and before light pollution, sky took up, you know, so well, I think that the events of the sky, you could not but behold them. They and and, you know, clock them and calculate what was going on and attribute those to patterns happening on Earth. So does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, it really does. Is there more that you would add to that, Jasmine? Sure. I definitely feel that it's really important to meet my clients wherever they're at. So I really root myself more in the ethics and the psychological realms of astrology because a lot of what Eliza is saying is true and it's hard to meet someone where they're at if you are taking these perspectives that are more historical from a vantage point. It tends to be more of a way of projecting on to your client or to whoever you're having a conversation with about their natal chart, if you're bringing in um, these more patriarchal myths, for example. So I try to extract their subjective experience um, more so by posing the right forms of questions and um, just trying to understand where they're coming from. And that's what I pride myself primarily on in my practice. When you said, I, I was really captivated when you said, like, I try to, I think you said something like embed myself in the ethics. Mm -hmm. Could you mm -hmm. give an example, for instance, of how you might read a natal chart for somebody a little bit differently based on what you just said, then let's say the traditional astrology from that more patriarchal time might be telling you to do. Right, sure. So um, like the more regulatory boards, um, like ESAR, for example, they have guidelines that they provide for astrologers um, that Eliza and I are, board, are both members of. And these guidelines stem from um, these 
these more, um, they, they kind of stem from more psychological practices um, mm -hmm. who tend to have more of a regulatory way of looking at the more professional realm of what psychology is. And so astrology doesn't really have that in place. Like we don't have a regulatory board. We don't have these um, professional standards unless we go and seek them out as professionals ourselves. Mm -hmm. If that um, makes sense, does that, <laughs> do you yeah, understand I mean, where I'm coming from? Yeah, like there's a sort of a, um, it sounds like you're trying to have a client-centered um, safe space, right? Like you're, you're trying right. to make sure that they're going to be psychologically safe and you're not like, yeah, projecting onto them some um, archetypes that will make them feel alienated or bad about themselves or like there's something flawed or wrong. Um, and so this may mean that you would read a chart today differently than they may have done 30 years ago with that, you know, like how they might interpret that. Am I, am I getting that? Yes. Right. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, Jasmine, who are some of the teachers and um, maybe the archetypes that guide your work as an astrologer now? Yeah, sure. So um, I feel like it's very important in this line of work to, to get a professional certification. And that's actually how I met Eliza in the first place. Both Eliza and I did an apprenticeship program called the Exploring Astrology Apprenticeship with Adam Summer. And um, I also taught in that program. I was a TA for him. And I also have been in, well, steeped in uh, psychology and therapy and counseling since I was a child. My mom was a therapist. And so I am continuing my education currently with a man named Wesley Fuquay. He founded the um, Psylogia Institute here in the United States. And um, it is a training around these identity integration techniques. So it's very trauma uh, release involved. Mm. And um, I hopefully will be done with that over the next couple of months, but that's my next uh, certification that I'll receive to, to you know, better my practice and um, be more of service to my clients. Um, as far as astrologers that I look up to and that I've followed their work since I basically started on this path, I have a real affinity for Barbara Hanclough's work. She is, uh, she's been an astrologer for 40 plus years and she has not only an astrological background, but she's definitely a spiritualist as well. She um, has a ton of episodes on Gaia with uh, uh, Regina Meredith. I don't know if you know who she is, but um, anyway, she, her work expands beyond astrology into a lot of other esoteric realms. She works with the dimensions, for example, she has a book called The Alchemy of Nine Dimensions. And 
I love that book because it teaches us to think beyond just the third dimension and what we're currently experiencing and think about other realms and the possibility of what exists beyond what's directly in front of us. Um, other astrologers, I mean, I have to give a shout out to Chris Brennan, um, who Eliza studied under. And Chris Brennan, Austin Kopic, and Kelly Surtees, they have uh, a, a podcast they do monthly. It's a forecast where I follow that and I get a lot of my information to stay on top of, of everything. Um, another podcast that's always in my ears is uh, Susie Chang and Mel Moline. They do a podcast called Fortune's Wheelhouse. And they also touch on many of these esoteric realms that include the Kabbalah and tarot and astrology. So I learn a ton from them. Um, I'm also studying planetary magic at the moment. So I follow Nina Griffin and Caitlin Kopic. They're doing some wonderful work. You can find them online as well. And Eliza and I plan on studying with Nina Griffin in the fall. And uh, that will involve learning a lot more electional astrology and uh, working with the planets in a way, it's very similar to what we had a conversation with before where you're timing things to um, get, you know, sp specific outcomes. And I'm really excited to do that because it's been something I've been interested in for a really long time. And as I continue to learn astrology, I kind of go down these various wormholes. <laughs> and um, another person I, I, I did want to mention that was on our podcast recently is uh, Gray Crawford. He's a wonderful writer and he's putting out some really great work specifically on a lot of the things that we're going to get into today, a lot of the uh, conjunctions and alignments of 2020. So he's something, he's someone everyone should check out and, and know about. It, he's doing really good work. Amazing. We're going to have such rich show notes today. <laughs> so many links. So thank you for that. Um, Eliza, who would you cite as teachers and guides? Jasmine's done a really great roundup of um, <laughs> some of the modern astrologers who are working now. And I, and I do want to echo that shout out to Chris Brennan. He's been um, very visible at, at the front edge of many of these translation projects. He's part of a project called Project Hindsight. Um, but he's not the only one. There are many others who are working who maybe have less visibility um, doing, these, doing these efforts of translation. And um, yeah, but I, I, I love that your question also included room for some of the less tangible teachers or less, you know, teachers not of this physical world. Mm -hmm. um, so I do have an example of one, but I, I learned about her by way of a, a physical astrologer <laughs> who gave me my first reading actually. So she's, um, her name is Demetra George. Who I love. <laughs> um, so Demetra, as you, as you may then well know, is she is actually, so she wrote one of the 
one of the first well-known books on uh, the asteroids and um, separately you and I have talked about the asteroids Carmen but for those who don't know the asteroids are um, they're bodies in space that have a way of bringing in some some more um, variable or diversified feminine archetypes not simply Venus wife or lover and moon mother and I um, I really resonated with the asteroid that she drew my attention to, which was Vesta. And so I, I do have Vesta on the Ascendant. Um, and just learning about that archetype made sense in some ways of my whole life and, and some of my idiosyncrasies, including, you know, as a person in my 20s, and this has shifted, but as a person in my 20s, I, I felt so, um, so self-sufficient that I, I, you know, I, I, didn't want to be with anyone romantically. I didn't need anything from anyone. I thought I, you know, clearly I, I got where I was by having <laughs> parents who, who, who raised me in this way and then educators and, you know, I'm not um, a self-formed thing, but I really resonated with this idea of being complete in oneself that, that Vesta has. And, and also this idea of focus. So even that word focus, um, the, the Latin focus foci means fire or flame. So, um, and, and Vesta was this goddess of the, of the flame, of, of the fire. So um, I say all of that <laughs> because, um, I, well, for me, I think astrology has been an enchantment. It's been a way of, of enchanting the narratives that I drew around myself. But, you know, we, there are many ways that we narrativize our lives and sometimes they come in the form of pathology or sometimes it's shame or sometimes um, ego, absolutely. And I, I think that there's a way that astrology can actually make sense of those parallel narratives. And, um, and I think there's a way that we can interact with these stories that's empowering and that lends one, um, well, that, that just kind of can um, support the selfhood that you already have. So I, I really want to stress what Jasmine said earlier around not projecting onto your client. And I, that's important. But I think that we can offer what we, as astrologers, we can offer the, the planets or the asteroids or the points that we see really prominent in a chart. And we can share those stories. And if, if the client does resonate with those stories, then we're potentially offering um, a, an archetype or a story or a myth to to step into or to try on or to walk beside you know I think of prominent planets and asteroids in the chart as being um, in some ways guides who have claimed us or, or entities who have claimed us in some way and to me that that has been really comforting actually so yeah I feel chills <laughs> especially well because you you know yes you've read my chart and I can't remember wh where things are, but I know that the asteroid of Lilith is important to me and um, Athena. And I feel like Vesta was there too. I'm not sure. There were a you lot of whole... things happening. Very, <laughs> yeah. You had a whole coven of, of these That's deities right. on your ascendant. <laughs> right on my ascendant. And so like, you know, these are um, guides who've claimed us. Like that just feels really, I mean, that, kind of tickles my attachment funny bone and you know like I'm like oh that's so sweet <laughs> and it and it's very animist isn't it mm -hmm. to be in relationship with planets and celestial bodies in that kind of way and feel like they've claimed us I love that okay so 
I love that we're well embedded now and we've invoked the muses of the planets and <laughs> the asteroids. So let's get brown, down to brass tacks here. Um, Eliza, what was some of the astrology in 2019 and early 2020 that indicated something about the massive shit show we were about to enter with coronavirus and just the entire planet affected? Like what, what were you guys seeing? You, 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 you friends, I'm trying not to say you guys, what were you all seeing? Indeed. <laughs> um, so, and I, I'm going to, I'm going to preface this by saying that when I entered astrology, when I, I self-studied for a long time and then I started formally learning, I would say around 2016, 2015, 2016. And around that time, even then I heard people talking about 2020 oh. in, in this very, you know, death knell, the end is nigh forget 2012 like that was <laughs> that was well well in the past but I remember astrologers talking about 2020 and I remember it's so seeping into my consciousness that when I was sending books out like manuscripts out I remember thinking oh my gosh it has to come up before 2020 because I don't know what will be left after <laughs> that year <laughs> and as as I began to learn for myself um about the archetypes, about what was happening, um, you can see why. So the <laughs> so the main the main event, um, and there were a number of you know sideshows, but the main event that has characterized 2020 is the conjunction of Saturn and Pluto. Um, so Jasmine can also help fill in some of the some of the dots here, but essentially the the archetype of Saturn. It, well, first of all, when we're talking about archetypes in astrology, they're, they're multivalent. They have different faces. They have different sides, which is why two, um, two people with very prominent uh, twins, for instance. I've met twins who have obviously very similar birth charts, and they represent, I've seen them represent different facets of the same, you know, mm -hmm. of Gemini or of, of Leo, different sides of, of, of this same root archetype. Um, so Saturn, we associate with, um, well, on the one hand, structure, law, systems, authority, but also um, poverty, disease, um, reality checks. <laughs> um, Pluto, we associate with huge transformation, power, um, the underbelly, generally cycles of entropy and <laughs> regeneration. Um, so these are big planets to come together and they, they come together every about every 31 to 37 years. And if you look back over the 20th century alone at um, what was happening around previous conjunctions, so the first one in the 20th century was 1914, which we know is, you know, <laughs> the, the, the precipice of World War, World War I, rather. Mm -hmm. uh, the second one was right after World War II in 1947, where you saw really a new world order being created, mm -hmm. um, the beginning of the arms race. Um, the third one in, in the 20th century was 1982. And we've been in that cycle through to 2020. And... Well, I have more to say, but maybe I'll let Jasmine jump in here to fill to fill in any uh, anything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what were you saying, Jasmine? Uh, everything that Eliza was saying. I mean, we study 
the same cycles and books. And, um, you know, we get a lot of our information from a book called Cosmos and Psyche mm. that I highly, yes. yeah, Rick Tarnas, yes. he's, he's amazing. And um, the timeline there is, I mean, in anyone I would think could connect with his writing to understand history in in this way. Um, you know, some of, some of the things that I associate with Saturn is restriction mm. and time and work. And I really see Pluto as the bringer of truth and, and representing power too. Um, I always think of Pluto as you can run, but you cannot hide. <laughs> and I feel like that's a lot of what we're going through individually and collectively right now. Um, and I, I really feel like that time period, uh, 1980 to 1984, is something that is tangible that we can all look to because it was the most recent Saturn-Pluto conjunction that we experienced. And if you think back to that era, um, that's I was young. So I was born in 78, but I do remember my parents having the news on all the time. And I remember the reactions of what was going on during that time period. And, you know, these, these conjunctions or Saturn and Pluto in general, they, they make different aspects to each other over time in the sky. But when they're making what we call in astrology fourth harmonic aspects, which is a conjunction an opposition or square, those are tense aspects. And they typically bring on a lot of global, social, and political turmoil. Mm -hmm. But that time frame, if you remember, it was the nuclear arms race. Um, it was the escalation of the Cold War. There was fear of the nuclear apocalypse coming. Mm -hmm. Um, but also the AIDS epidemic. Mm -hmm. So these, this relationship between Saturn and Pluto, it, it does represent health crisis. Mm. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, yeah, so I was born in 75. Uh, I definitely remember, you know, Star Wars, like the, the arms program, not Star right. Wars, George <laughs> Lucas. We mean like actual nuclear, right? And there was like... Uh, you know, mini series. What was it? The the morning after, the day after, whatever it was like. That was kind of the collective fear, and the AIDS crisis being um, uh, slowly but surely something. I mean, I remember seeing Ryan White on Donahue, mm -hmm. boy who Me had too. AIDS, right? And just like, wow, you know, and kids asking questions. Can you get AIDS from sitting on a toilet? You know, like it, yeah. it was kind of like yeah. this was you know, me as a young person, um, the first kind of sense of, uh, like health care crisis, mm -hmm. you know, like it was pretty, mm -hmm. it was scary and it was, and it was big. Right. Um, so that, that's very interesting to look at it from the, uh, health perspective and, and sort of tracking that. So Jasmine, then what stands out to you about fall and winter of 2020? Like what would be just looking at the astrology, what are some sure. do's and don'ts for, for those of us who are trying to get through the long dark winter in pandemic times? <laughs> well, the astrology of 2020 is by no means 
over or coming to an end anytime soon. Mm. Um, and we are about to enter the Mars retrograde period. And um, that will start on September, September 9th and go through November 13th. Um, uh, Mars is in Aries. Mars rules Aries. And Aries is the cardinal sign of fire. So cardinal means to start. Or in this case, fire, you can think of it as like ignite. Um, and during retrograde periods, any planet that's retrograde, we're asked to reconsider different ways of approaching of approaching parts of our lives um mars can be associated with our will it's said to be associated with our will so i think about questions like what direction is our will pointed towards or is my will self-serving or is it directed towards serving the greater good of humanity? Am so, I fighting for the right things? Go ahead. Will seems to be a, almost like a term of art as used here in, in astrology. Cause you don't, mm -hmm. it's like, what is my will? It sounds like a little poetic in the world. Is there, how should we be understanding will in the astrological context there? Hmm. What does that mean? It's like, is it different from desire? I don't think that it's too much different okay. than desire. But it is, um, it's, it's not quite purpose. It's well, I also think it's like what drives us. Okay. And wherever that's coming from. Mm -hmm. And I think it's different for every person. Every, every person has an idea of what's driving their life or they're looking for the idea of what's driving their life. For some people it's easier than others. But um, for example, I, I derive a lot of my will from being a parent mm -hmm. and it drives a lot of my decisions. Other people might, you know, derive their will from their work. You know, Eliza's a writer that might be where her will stems from. Mm. Um, but it's what is giving us that desire, like you said, to want to, to do things, to accomplish things. Um, and we, we have different forms of will. And that's why I think there's these questions are going to start to come up during this retrograde period. It's like, where is our will coming from? Where are we deriving it from? Is it directed towards the right sorts of things? And there's all of these collective questions right now, um, just, uh, just on a, a humane level that are happening socially and politically, um, you know, like with health. Um, and I think that, you know, collective consciousness is shifting, history is changing, um, and things are not going to be the same after what we're experiencing today. Over the next six months to a year, these sorts of planetary alignments change things forever. Mm -hmm. And so it, the will part of it is like, 
like I said, like what, what side of history are we going to decide to be on, on an individual and collective level? So how long does this influence last? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe like it's helpful to bring in some context. Okay. So, and this is something that Tarnas talks about in Cosmos and Psyche. These are slow moving planets. So we often use large orbs for them. And, and when, we, when I say orb, the, the astrological chart is a circle. So it's 360 degrees. And when, when two planets come within 15 degrees of an angle, so a conjunction, say, or a square or an opposition, we say that they're coming within orb. They're coming close enough that you feel some of that gust. <laughs> and um, they, this, this mammoth conjunction not only of Saturn and Pluto but Jupiter was also in Capricorn at the same time and there were there were eclipses too just to add some extra fuel to the fire this was in January and and December in fact of of 2019 um they we we were feeling the reverberations of this for a few years but I think we found some relief because we had, well, especially in 2019, we had Jupiter, who we consider, um, he, Jupiter's like the, the jolly gourmand avuncular planet. <laughs> and he tends to give gifts. And we see, so the, the technical way of wording that is he's the greater benefic. Um, so he's very auspicious. And he, Jupiter was domicile in Sagittarius, um, which means that Jupiter had all the strength. He had all the strength to help. In Capricorn, uh, we actually technically consider Jupiter in detriment. So it's, it's made the, the most positive planet a bit impotent to help. And I, I think in, in conjunction uh, with, with all else that was unfolding, it's created in some ways a perfect storm. And so while, so the exactitude of that conjunction between Saturn and Pluto will only happen once this time around. Sometimes it's more than once due to retrogrades, but it came, um, it, it became exact. I, I believe it was January, yeah, January 12th of 2020, but it was really ramping up through, mm -hmm. through the winter, through the Christmas Eve um, eclipse. And then there was another eclipse on January 10th. Um, it, it is technically Technically, it will be waning or separating after that point. But again, due to retrogrades, they're still quite close together. And we saw Saturn enter Aquarius, where because it's a new sign, there's just, there is literally, Aquarius is an air sign, there's literally a bit more air. <laughs> but Saturn retrograded back into Cap and Capricorn. And what we're seeing with the Mars retrograde is, so Aries, where Mars is, is in a square aspect to Capricorn. They're both cardinal signs. So again, squares are, they're considered a, diff a difficult angle. So you have Mars who, yes, represents will, but Mars is also the god of war. It's, it's combat. It's, um, it, 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 Mars can have a destructive, he can, he can, um, he can have a destructive capacity. I was going to say something more poetic, but I lost it. <laughs> um, so what you're seeing is as Saturn's retrograded back into a, actually only a few degrees of that same conjunction that we saw in early in the early parts of this year, Mars is now, you know, adding fuel to the fire. And this will this will overlap with the US election. This will overlap. I well, I've been looking at the astrology 
of the rest of the year thinking there must be a second wave of the pandemic coming. I, I don't, you know, I don't know. And I don't tend to make, I don't tend to broadcast predictions, but the, it's, we're, we're coming to a similar, um, a similar conjunction that we saw earlier in the year, but now we're adding the rage and the anger of no, Mars. War. Great. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll see what happens. I'd like to be wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to actually shout out to this French astrologer who, so his name is Andre Barbeau and he's, he's no longer alive. He died last year, sadly at, at, at age 98 actually, but he made a prediction in 2014 that there would be a pandemic with, with this conjunction. So I, I guess I'm mentioning that because this, we have seen this year, this year is monumental, um, but maybe no more so than 1982, maybe no more so than 1914, and we will move beyond it. And I think that we'll feel a palpable sense of relief. It won't be, it won't be completely merry yet, but we'll, mm-hmm. we'll feel a palpable sense of relief when both Saturn and Jupiter move into Aquarius, which happens in December of this mm-hmm. year. So personally, I'm looking toward December as kind of the exhale. Hey, just a quick mid-roll shout out here to let you know that if you're interested in visioning your year ahead for 2021 with me, I'm hosting my annual intuitive business and life planning workshop on September 26th. It's a day-long online workshop where we call in our guides to help us map out the next year's activities. We do trance journey work to enlist support and seek guidance, and I teach three different methods for intuitive decision-making, including pendulum charts, somatic attunement, and crafting an oracle card calendar. If you're not an entrepreneur, it's no problem. You can definitely apply this workshop to any aspect of your life. And if you can't attend all of the sessions that day, don't worry. They'll be recorded. You can watch or listen later in your own time. Cost to register is just 75 bucks Canadian, and you can do so on my website at carmenspaniola.com. This is by far my most frequently requested workshop, and it has the most repeat attenders. Like people have been coming to this workshop when I had it in person and also when I've done it online, sometimes every year. Sometimes they come every year for like five to seven years. What am I talking about? No, seven to eight years. Anyway, it's part of kind of our annual autumn rhythm of forecasting and planning to work harmoniously with the energy flows in the year ahead. So it's not about hustle here. It's about getting into a collaborative rhythm with the universe and your allies and ancestors and your personal energy levels and alignment with your gifts and purpose. And it's so fun. So September 26, 75 bucks. Check it out on the work with me page at carmenspaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. But in the short term, let's get through the Mars retrograde. <laughs> right. Okay. And so what do you think, Eliza, when you're looking at it and you're looking at the U.S. election, do you think there will be civil unrest? Do you think things will erupt uh, and look more warlike? I think, <laughs> I, I think it's very, I think it's, it's very possible. Um, I, I also want to point out that there will be a Mercury retrograde that begins on the day of Mars's opposition with the sun, which is October 13th, also Jasmine's birthday. <laughs> um, and that Mercury retrograde will last until November 3rd, which is the day of the election. And something that I didn't even think about until today, actually, probably because like you, I'm in Canada. So, uh, you know, a little bit shaded from the storm. Um, But 
from what I understand, a lot of states are going are are actually not having in person in person elections due to fears around the pandemic. So if if you're seeing many states switch to vote by mail during a Mercury <laughs> retrograde, well. I mean, and I'm not someone to I'm not someone to say Mercury retrograde. Oh no, don't do anything. I think Mercury retrogrades can be really fruitful periods, but Mercury rules the mail. <laughs> you know, things don't always run on time. So I'm a little. It makes me a little nervous that actually, when we need that efficiency, also isn't USPS on strike? Yeah, yeah and they're like removing. Um, sorting equipment because there seems to be some sabotage from the feds and you know it, there, yeah. it's it really already is not looking good so it doesn't look great election by mail <laughs> yeah so when you yeah. add a mercury retrograde that is stationing on the day of the election i mean we'll see what happens what do you see there jasmine is there are you well there's also a wider theme at play here too the u.s is going through its pluto return and that started back in February of 2019. And so we're actually figuring out how to define a Pluto return <laughs> in this moment. Um, but considering how long that is between 2019 and 2025, I mean, I'm not in the business of prediction either, but I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with this election. It might actually resolve itself on some level in 2020, but is it 2024 in the next election? Um, because Pluto is still, you know, churning up all of these like truth factors in the Speaking U.S. Churning that literally, I'm like, I have to feel my feet. I have to like, and I have been saying for a long time, like since February, I've been like, if there is an election and people right. have laughed at me and now it's getting closer. But just you saying that 2025, I suddenly just felt this like seasickness. So I just want everybody listening to also take a moment to like whew, breathe through that because like, wow, what you're saying feels very real. Anyway, yeah. sorry, I cut you off. Say more. Tell us more. No, I was just going to say that there's yeah. still a lot of truth being exposed. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it's, it's the big, it's, we're at like a year, a uh, year and a half into the Pluto return. We mm -hmm. still got another four years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Five years. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think um, is significant in 2020, Jasmine? What what should we be aware of as we're looking forward? Or sorry, 2021. Well, I I just feel like things are not over. And um, but another thing is we have gone through these cycles before. I mean, these cycles have been happening since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. And these specific cycles that we're experiencing bring up a lot of fear. And I personally feel like we are going to get through this. Mm -hmm. And I know that might sound reductive for all the people that have been going through so much and have lost family members from this pandemic and, um, yeah, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to sound reductive, but we will eventually get through this. It's just going to be on its own 
time scale and time frame, which is what we're ex experiencing. And like Eliza was saying, these planets move really slow. And we have been programmed as a society to want things to push forward and push forward quickly so we can just get back to the normal way of doing things. Um, and that doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what do you see in 2021, Eliza? I'll, I'll try to offer some optimism <laughs> just for, you know, because why not? Because what? Because I'm a Sagittarius. Um, um, so we are, yes, we are still going to be feeling the reverberations of this, of this conjunction. And I do also want to mention, sorry to keep tracking back in history, but the bubonic plague also started with a Saturn-Pluto conjunction in mm -hmm. 1348. So there really is a pattern here with disease mm -hmm. and this conjunction. I Again, I want to go back to what I said before, which is in December, um, Saturn and Jupiter will both enter Aquarius. And when, when Saturn enters Aquarius, I think this will, this on a, on a symbolic and an archetypal level, this concludes the conjunction, okay. um, at least in part. They're still gonna be with an orb for a few years, but Saturn will be in a new sign. So, you know, we often think of our Saturn return as, as happening when Saturn is in the, in the sign of our natal Saturn. And so when, when Saturn's moving on to Aquarius, um, first of all, Saturn's at home in Aquarius. Saturn rules both Aquarius and Capricorn. Uh, but also Saturn will be in, in lockstep with Jupiter. And Jupiter has more power in Aquarius than he's had in Capricorn. Um, and Aquarius is a sign of well, it's, it is a Saturnian sign, but it's, again, a, it's an air sign. And so I see there the promise of intellect. I see there the promise of reason and of um, actually quite avant-garde scientific mm -hmm. research, mm -hmm. potentially. I think, I mean, I'm hopeful for a vaccine coming out with, with those two entering Aquarius in late December. I'm hoping that there will be a usable vaccine at least sometime in 2021, we, I hope. Um, but I think also it will cushion it will cushion the that focus switch from the cardinal signs to the fixed signs. So anyone who has strong placements in Aries, Cancer, uh, Libra, or Capricorn has been really going through it over the last few years with Saturn there, with with Pluto there. Um, Jupiter's helped actually, but. Jupiter can also add growth and add spreading potential. Um, and when they move into Aquarius, that's actually part of a, a real focus shift that we'll see in 2021 toward the fixed signs, which are Taurus, Leo, Scorpio, and um, Aquarius. And that's, it, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but we have Uranus there as in Taurus right now. And, and uh, Uranus is, known as a, a disruptor. I've, I've seen really beautiful things to emerge, really beautiful surprises um, to, to occur during a Uranus transit. And also it can really tug the, the rug from under your feet. So we will be, 2021, I think will feel very different, even as we're still feeling the, um, still feeling the tremors of, of what we've all gone through. I think there is a potential for, 
for radical thought and for, um, you know, and I say that in, a, in terms of decolonizing and also in terms of just genuine scientific breakthroughs and, and hopefully using our, our vast intellectual capacity to, to get through this. But also, acquire, I mean, the air, air signs linked to the internet. And I think that's been a really amazing thing that we've seen with this pandemic is um, how we've managed to come together and actually hold community in online spaces in, in ways that can't replace human contact. But I've anyway been pretty impressed with how um, that Saturnian isolation hasn't been as un unmitigated because we do have the internet. I think if this were going on, what would have been more like the Spanish flu maybe <laughs> in, in 1918 or 19 to 1920, like if this is going on pre-internet, mm-hmm. I think that, that, that quality of being totally alone um, and trapped within that is, is more um, inescapable. So mm-hmm. I guess what I'm saying is I think that the, we'll, we will probably feel a bit of relief um, by the end of this year, even as we're still cleaning up the mess. Mm. And I'm curious when you go out beyond then, like when is the next period where things are actually looking harmonious? <laughs> like when would you say is like the, like, for people who are like, ah, exhale, like I'm okay with, you know, um, steady as she goes for another Mm -hmm. year or another two, but is there any particularly auspicious period in the kind of midterm future in the next, you know, few years where you're like, oh, that looks like a really good time? I'm actually, actually this, this pertains to you specifically. It's funny because, um, before we started recording, you were, you mentioned you had good feelings about 2022. And mm-hmm. it occurs to me that's when Jupiter's moving into Pisces, which is mm-hmm. your first house. So that will actually be a really auspicious transit for you personally. Mm-hmm. But but Jupiter in Pisces is in rulership as, as Jupiter was in rulership in Sagittarius. So you're getting that greater benefic at full capacity again. And I think that will, in terms of the short to midterm future, I think that will help a lot. I think we'll still see a lot of um, dismantling and, and maybe fruitful dismantling, but change and disruption <laughs> um, through Uranus's time in Taurus, which lasts until 2026. But these, and I say that partly because Taurus is a fixed earth sign that doesn't, you know, Fixed signs don't tend to like to change, and earth signs of all of all the fixed signs, the fixed earth does not love change generally. And you have Uranus coming in here, really shaking things up. Um, so, would you? Does that mean like so? Literally, some things that we have considered foundational or the ground of our being is going to be like totally transforming over like for six years, <laughs> or however. Long I think we're seeing. Years. I mean, I think we're seeing that with the Saturn Pluto. Mm-hmm conjunctions conjunction anyway because saturn does also represent um, that structure in the system and Mm -hmm. and i do think that these conjunctions can indicate patterns of uh, well paradigm shifts of total Mm -hmm. systemic change um in taurus with uranus there i do and i I realize that we're getting a bit technical so apologies (laughs) if i'm if some of this is going 
over people's heads mm -hmm. if they're not keeping track of all these planet names. But, um, you know, Taurus is, it's the earth and it's also how we nourish ourselves to some degree. And I think that we'll maybe see radical changes in terms of just food, how we, how we relate to where we source our food, to the environment. Um, mm -hmm. it, I mean, also natural disasters. Like, I do think, I, <laughs> again, not to be doomsday, but we're seeing a lot of wildfires. We're seeing a lot of just... There's not, a, it's, it's hard to find stability with Uranus, mm -hmm. but some changes, and I don't mean the natural disasters per se, but some change clearly needs to happen because there's so much that's sick right now and there's so much that's broken. And I think that, you know, what's the use of an intact broken system that was, that was oxymoronic, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I totally get it. hundred percent. It sounds like those of us who are kind of collapse aware, who are actually hoping for collapse of certain things so that we can experience some rapid simplification. Again, just, I, I want to echo what Jasmine said, not to uh, diminish the absolute horror that that mm -hmm. is on the ground. That yeah. means many deaths. That means, you know, mm -hmm. terrible poverty. That means like huge losses and, and how much longer can we try to keep this broken system on life support? And, mm. you know, the planet is just going to stop trying to help us with that, I think. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and so, uh, Jasmine, I, I don't want to miss your, your thoughts on that same kind of question. Is there a time that you're kind of looking forward to when you're like privately looking ahead in the, in, at the like main things happening in the next few years where you're like, ah, that seems like a time that I will, you know, um, maybe start planning some things or, you know, just where you look at what's happening with the planetary influences and you're like, I feel like I feel pretty good about that time. Well, definitely when Jupiter moves into Pisces, because Jupiter is at home there, I think that's going to provide a lot of relief. And that is 2022, like we had, we had discussed, but there is, um, you know, a couple of eclipses at the end of the year that are definitely going to, you know, usher and change what that change is. I, I don't know, but eclipses just have a way of bringing things in and being very abruptive and also getting rid of things mm -hmm. um, very quickly. And they have that element of surprise and that's happening very soon. Mm -hmm. um, and that's going to set the tone for 2021. I think these eclipses, we have a lunar eclipse on November 30th in Gemini, and then we have a total solar eclipse on December 14th in Sagittarius. And I personally am looking forward to the solar eclipse in Sagittarius because Sagittarius as an archetype has a very strong foothold in freedom, for example. And I am wondering if something at that time will ease up around all of these travel restrictions and, mm. um, you know, the border of Canada being closed, for example. Um, so I'm looking forward to that, hopefully. Um, but I think that 2021 is going to look a lot different than we are actually thinking about in this moment of time because of this pair of eclipses. Hmm. Wow. I'll be, I, it's like pop the popcorn. 
There's yeah. interesting things that, that I, it kind of almost seems, am I not hearing this right? Am I just like putting my hopium ears on? But it almost <laughs> kind of sounds like you're saying that it could be that uh, there's a difficult contentious election probably um, disrupted with communications with the mail and all that stuff, which we're already seeing, but that there is a period, especially where the eclipses are happening at the end of 2020, where there could be an abrupt like, nope, this is it. And the U.S. is deciding that they are not going to implode. And they are like pulling this out. And then they may decide, uh, you know, as a nation to fundamentally change some like very basic paradigms and complete their Pluto return over the next administration, actually trying to like mm-hmm. save themselves from themselves. Mm-hmm. Could this be? I, I, like to think of it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I like to think of it as a birthing process. Okay. <laughs> and you know, I mean, rebirth is happening mm-hmm. as, as we speak. And I'm, I'm hoping that's exactly how you described it is Mm -hmm. is what happens um but that's definitely what pluto brings too is that rebirth after we're we're going through this underworld journey that we're all experiencing right now Mm -hmm. Hmm. are there things that people could be doing that like could support or preempt any of this like yes destinies in the stars but as you've said to me before eliza as a witch we can you know as witches we can sometimes you know influence some things or we can you know call upon other forces as well so is there any magic that you are personally either of you bringing the next little while where you're like this is an important time for us to all be focusing our intention and magic to try to like encourage the planets and aside from voting aside from all that stuff is there anything extra that you're doing to mitigate for the planetary influences in the next few months well i will i will say um so yes there are definitely magical practices you can be doing um but even on a more mundane level which i think has its own magic to it (laughs) well i i believe in um in remedial in remedial planetary work. So um, I've, I have a quite a few Aries placements and I'm looking ahead at the Mars retrograde. And my first thought was, okay, I got to take up kickboxing because <laughs> I want to <laughs> channel that Mars energy into something constructive or into something. Um, I, I almost feel, and this could just be my own, my own hopium. I almost feel like if you could be like a lightning rod and you can say, okay, Mars, I'm kickboxing now, so funnel all of that into this, and then you can avoid my career. Um, you can avoid my my family, my friends, you know, my relationships, all of all of this. And I I do know that in with uh, many Indian astrologers, the the use of mantra work is is very big, and you could placate Mars, say, or um, or or seek the seek the the, the well wishes of Jupiter. That's not within my own. Um, training or system or lineage or practice per se, but um, you know, Jasmine mentioned planetary magic earlier in the show, and this is a more <laughs> planetary magic. I 
for me, the best, the best um, metaphor is one of harvesting. And so it's, it's maybe a little too late to harvest some really great Jupiter, for example. But there are people, and Caitlin Kopic is, Caitlin Kopic runs a company called Sphere and Sentry. And, um, you know, she has spent Jupiter and Sag harvesting the energy and in, into in various sundry and you can go to people who do that and and purchase these goods you you can develop a practice of that yourself um there are different different uh ways to learn how to do that and i i i recommend people be humble and careful in the beginning because it's it's, it's real shit and <laughs> you can you can blow yourself up a little bit but <laughs> um <laughs> But this to say, I think there are absolutely both very practical um, ways to to direct and channel some of these more challenging energies and definitely supernatural ways. And good old fashioned spell work, too. You know, that's uh, astrological magic is a practice that that is contingent on um, timing and it's contingent on planets being in specific places. But entire systems, robust systems of magic exist quite outside of that and without having access to those kinds of calculations. So I, I do think it depends on what your own practice is and, you know, and I would encourage people to, to go to that to, and to find that. And if they don't have that, then get curious and, and look around. But um, yeah, that would be my answer. Mm-hmm. How about you, Jasmine? Mm-hmm. Well, I think about working with the elements a lot in my astrological practice and also helping my clients understand the elemental balance in their natal charts. And while we're going through this time where we are in a position to be out in nature more, for example, um, or have having these more intimate, quiet moments with ourselves or with our families um, or within our own homes. Uh, I think that to get in touch with how the elements show up for you in your natal chart is a great way to work with the energies right now. And Mother Earth, well, up until recently has been in uh, a state of rest you know i mean pollution was down 70 percent or something like that uh, up until recently but going outside and going for long walks or finding a way to be around water and swim if that is an an element that you know that you need to work with in your chart or that is uh, that shows up for you. Like I have a lot of water in my chart, for example. So I do a lot of like water therapy, a lot of cold and hot therapy mm-hmm. and um, or somebody that has a lot of earth in their chart, you know, making sure that they're getting in touch with that side of their life, going for long walks. Mm-hmm. Um, or fire, you know, having those campfires and just sitting and meditating in those states, uh, I feel like is something that we're being called back to that we may have lost over, you know, all of these years of living the way that we 
that we have. Mm-hmm. So when you consider all that we collectively and when you're going through things yourself personally, um, you know, as an American, which I believe you are, Jasmine, mm-hmm. you know, at all these different levels, there's so many reasons to experience grief and rage, I'm sure. And we've talked about some self-care through that and um, some magic we can do to, to mitigate that. But I'm curious how you personally are coping with grief and rage right now. Yeah. Um, I, like I said, I work with the elements a lot and um, I have, like I said, a lot of water in my chart. So my body just completely absorbs emotions Mm -hmm. so I have to work really hard to keep my emotions like out of my physical body or else it can lead to more clinical psychological disorders like depression for example so my way of dealing with my emotions is to allow my mind to process them because I do feel that when we're going through something like rage or anger or grief, that to to try to deny that part of ourselves is doing ourselves a disservice. Mm -hmm. But for me, I can feel it in my body. And I know that if I don't work it out on some level, that I can potentially get very sick, mentally and physically sick. So, doing the cold and hot therapy, like I talked about exercise is the way that I deal with those sorts of emotions. Mm, Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for that um, thoughtful answer. How about you, Eliza? How are you coping with grief and rage? Well, I'll I'll keep up with um, the elemental theme. (laughs) As much as Jasmine has a lot of water, my chart is embarrassingly fire dominant. And um, as Jasmine will attest, and I, um, well, first of all, I'm going to say straight up that I don't sit well with, um, let's, let's, let's take grief and, and loss and sadness. I don't, I don't sit in those places very easily. And I need, I, I feel like I, my immediate um, response and coping mechanism is one toward action. And that can, that can be manifest in different ways. So, and, and it's the same with rage, actually. Um, rage has this particularly mobilizing, purifying quality <laughs> to me. Um, but at, my point is I, I, I tend to not do well being still and, and, and um, even present with it, I, t- I tend to want to mobilize it immediately. So that can be through physical activity. Mm. Um, it can be through, you know, I am somebody who can, uh, this is maybe not a constructive way to process that emotion, but I can pick a fight and, <laughs> and release that energy. And then, a, and, or not even just pick a fight, but, you know, a, a fight could ensue. And then once the energy is released, I'm over it. And mm. I remember even as a child, getting to arguments with my dad and you know it would there'd be a flare-up and then I'd like okay I'm done it's all good right and it would take it would take other people a little bit longer and this has been a theme throughout my life where oh like not everyone requires only five minutes of discharge um 
but also I've noticed that it can writing actually has been a really effective tool and there was a period where I was really angry at the phenomenon and fanfare of Jordan Peterson mm-hmm. and I ended up um here here yeah. <laughs> yes. I ended up creating this is ridiculous but I ended up well it's not ridiculous but it didn't work I ended up creating a character in the novel I was working on um Dr. Yorn P. Dirksen, who <laughs> ended up being like this straw man. It was like, it was so, um, all of my, all of my anger and all of my cynicism and all of my frustration <laughs> was just fiercely channeled into this character. And obviously it was so on the nose and I had to eventually delete him, but <laughs> it, it was extremely cathartic and I spent months like just directing all of this rage and then <laughs> was deleting him i love that deleting him <laughs> and it was, what's funny is he was already dead i believe uh, in not not that i wish death upon anybody but the character dr yorn p jerkson uh, <laughs> was not alive in the fictive present of that manuscript and and double death because yes i deleted him so it's amazing i love and i felt that. better yeah, that, that sounds super <laughs> cathartic and empowering. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you both so much. I feel actually surprisingly optimistic. I'm not generally a super optimistic person. Uh, not that I um, am particularly pessimistic either. I'm just like, this is just what's happening right now, <laughs> you know? But actually, I feel quite a bit lighter about, well, it's certainly about 2022. <laughs> feel very validated that I, I was feeling so good about 2022 for so long, actually. So thank you so much for your generous sharing today. I, I, I really can't wait to see what happens this winter. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. You're it's so such a welcome. pleasure to be here. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Carmen. Hear more from Eliza and Jasmine on the Cosmic Tonic podcast. And if you'd like to work with them to determine your best timing going forward or you know, what to be aware of in your parenting, or like I do with Eliza, the most auspicious dates and times for sending important emails, you can book in with them at CosmicTonic.com. You'll find links to the resources they recommended in the show notes of this episode on NuminousPodcast.com. Today, I'd like to thank my new listener in Greece. So Greece had dropped off the radar for a while, and so I actually suspect that probably most of those listeners in the past were like tourists just passing through. But I mean, since March 2020, I pretty much know you're not just traveling through, you're an actual resident of one of the cradles of Western civilization. And it's an honor to know you're out there, really. Thank you. Thank you for spending time with me today. Actually, I had a super intense transpersonal, maybe even you could call it supernatural experience at uh, Knossos on Crete. And I feel a real affection for your land. So it's very cool to be connected this way. Thank you. And hey, just going to slide this little tidbit of um, massive news, personal news for me here. Um, In the spring of 2022, you'll be able to purchase my forthcoming cookbook, which will be published by Countryman Press, an imprint of W.W. Norton, New York. (laughs) Yeah, it's like big news, (laughs) and I'm pretty happy about it. It's kind of like a grimoire cookbook. 
<laughs> What's that? Yeah, it's going to detail recipes and rituals for the year um, ahead for the Wheel of the Year. So to go behind the scenes with that project, follow me on Instagram at Carmen Spaniola and be the first to know about all my offerings by signing up for my newsletter at CarmenSpaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care. <laughs>